So hello and welcome to this second part of our two-part Christmas special. Uh, we're having a Medics Money festive quiz and last week we posed the questions and this week uh, we are posing the answers. Now, uh, thanks to Christmas, we are actually pre-recording this episode um, in the middle of uh, December. So we're going to, how was your hypothetical Christmas? Because uh, actually when this episode goes out, it's going to be the 29th of December. So we will have had Christmas. I mean, I'll be at work, um, back at work then. Yeah, I'll be back at work on the 29th as well. That's yeah, going to be a hideous it. day. Yeah, I'm yeah, not really looking forward to that. If I'm yeah. being anyway, so honest. just imagine mm. that you've had Christmas already. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have a good Christmas, mate? <laughs> I did have a, had a fantastic Christmas. Thank you very much. Um, I will have spent it with my my mum and dad, um, uh, and that will be really nice because I haven't seen them for a little while. So uh, yeah, it'd be nice to uh, get some nice home cooked food, uh, home cooked Christmas meal, and uh, yeah, it'd be really good. What about yourself? Are you? Uh, uh, we are having a family Christmas on our own because I mean. I'm a doctor, obviously, working on the front line. My wife's a primary school teacher. And what you might not know about primary school teachers is that they don't need to wear any PPE at work at all because they're immune okay. to the coronavirus. Um, yeah, they don't have to wear masks. Oh, yeah. and, and or... Kids apparently never get it. Yeah, kids never get it. No. Um, so we're pretty high risk. So no one really wants to hang out with us this Christmas, which is kind of understanding. So yeah, we will have had a lovely uh, Christmas together with the kids and to be honest i'll probably be at work having a rest from that um even though work's going to be manic so yeah um are your your kids excited about christmas yeah super excited yeah Yeah. um we've got elf on the shelf which is like a yeah cool it's like a behavior management tool basically you just (laughs) if anything happens the elf is watching and then you can use that as a leverage to uh, does the elf do like naughty things or whatever or do you literally just move around the elf is pretty naughty no. Our, our elf is pretty annoying. Yeah, yeah, he does move around every day until it take off to you. Occasionally, we forget um, and to move him. So um, yeah, um, so yeah, we would have had a Christmas with our kids and be back to work now. And I'm also working on Christmas Eve. Uh, so are you? Yeah, um, Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve. Yeah. So if you yeah. worked over Christmas, uh, thank you so much for everything you're doing. Yeah, uh, thanks, guys. It's really tough out there at the moment. Uh, but I think we should get uh, straight into the answers because people have been on tenterhooks uh, from last week when we read out the questions. Yeah, I'm sure they are. Um, so let's get straight into it, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Um, okay, so um, I believe question one, we asked uh, about the um, NHS pension. Uh, we did an excellent uh, podcast with uh, Rachel Hall in podcast 12. And uh, in terms of the pension, the question we, we posed for you guys is, uh, what is the retirement age in the 1995, the 2008 and the 2015 scheme? So Tommy, what, what's the answer? Yeah, so we did two episodes with Rachel. Uh, episode 12 was like a beginner's guide, and episode 13 was in pretty deep on a really specialist subject. <clears throat> but uh, in episode 12, we talked about a lot, and I would definitely, if you're just looking for an intro, listen to that. So the answer is, in the 1995 section uh, of the NHS pension scheme, the normal retirement age is age 60. In the 2008 section, it's 65. And in the 2015 section, and this is absolutely key in my view, um, the retirement age is state retirement age or 65 if that's later. So for me, my retirement age is already increased to 68. Um, yours as well. Sorry, yeah, buddy. Same. Yeah. And if state retirement age goes up further, then our retirement age will be pushed back as well. Um, and I think that is a major thing that people need to... Uh, appreciate about the 2015 scheme because if you don't want to work uh, till state retirement age then you're going to need some kind of backup plan now you can take your pension early and there's reductions put in place for that Um, but if you don't want to do that then you might like to think about filling the gap between your desired retirement age and your actual retirement age 
with an alternative source of income. And that might be investments in property or stocks or whatever. And we've talked about that loads in other episodes. So I think we could have asked a lot of questions about that episode. Um, but I think for me, an awareness of the retirement age is a pretty key factor uh, and the difference between 95 um, when you can go at 60 or 2015 when you go at state retirement age. Um, so yeah, bear that in mind when you're planning your future. Uh, and I did say as well that there was an early bonus point available. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes. the bonus point is for pointing out, as Rachel did, that uh, in the 95 section, as I said, normal retirement age is 60. But if you have special class or mental health officer status, uh, often referred to as MHO status, then you can retire at 55. Yes. So we're getting niche. We're getting pretty niche there. I think we should just leave that one there. But uh, an awareness of the retirement age, definitely get informed about what your pension gives you and what it can do for you. And it seems like uh, a long way off to be planning for retirement. But um, yeah. I think you probably ought to think about it if you don't want to work till 68. Um, oh, yeah. Ed's just reminding me uh, that um, we had a celebrity listener to Rachel's pension podcast episode. Uh, I think it's. I can't, we can't reveal that now. It's no, too, I was going to say. Is it yeah. oh, fair enough? I, wasn't, I don't want to say anything. Stay just tuned. Would, uh, Stay tuned. We've got um, we've got a celebrity pension expert coming on the podcast to listen to Rachel's podcast and then ask to come on. And um, I mean, they are basically pensions royalty. Yeah, I'm, it's and really good. a sir. I mean, we haven't had a sir on the podcast mm-hmm. uh, May yet. May 21st. Yeah. Yet. I mean, one day maybe we'll be knighted for services to helping doctors manage their finances. That, but that is the goal. Seems unlikely. Yeah, it seems very unlikely. Uh, okay, Can't so good. That, that question one. Uh, so what are we saying there? Are we saying like three marks and a bonus point available? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, All absolutely. Right. Kudos if you got the bonus point, to be honest. Uh, you're, you're good. Uh, okay, uh, question two. Uh, what is the earliest year that you could claim a tax rebate for right now? Uh, so I'm going to ask this one. So this is, um, you know, you can always claim for the, the current tax year, which, you know, at the time of recording um, is the tax year ended 5th of April 2021. Uh, but you can also claim for the past four tax years as well, which means that if you haven't made a claim for a tax rebate on your professional fees, you can claim for any allowable expenses incurred from the 6th of April 2016. So, you know, quite a long way back. Um and of course, these costs really will uh, will add up if you take every allowable expense that you've incurred since the 6th of April 2016. So every GMC fee, every Royal College fee, your exams for the Royal Colleges, you know, those expenses can really, really uh, add up. So, of course, if you haven't made your claim yet, um, then definitely go go about and doing it. As I say, at the moment, every expense from the 6th of April 2016 uh, is allowed, you know, you can claim for. So well worth doing uh, and once you've gone outside that deadline there's no comebacks right you no. you've lost that money forever absolutely yeah so yeah so any you know any expenses incurred on the 5th of april 2016 for example um you know you can't claim for those yeah so. uh, and the easiest way to claim in our opinion and lots of other opinions because 22 and a half thousand of you have downloaded it now is to download our free uh, speciality stage of training specific tax claim guide is free it, it, it walks you through it step by step and um there's just it makes it as easy as possible to claim because there's loads of um incorrect information out there on facebook etc about what you can and can't claim so just use our guide it's step by step it's free yeah. um and if you're sat there as a consultant or gp thinking why are we talking about claiming um these small little expenses uh, i'd also point out as we did point out in episode two that 
uh, claiming tax-deductible expenses is one of the few ways that you can reduce your threshold income, uh, which is used in pension calculations. So have a look on our blog if uh, you're confused about that, because we've got a whole section dedicated to pensions where we explain threshold income and stuff like that. So although you might think this applies to juniors only, um, that is not the case. Um, so yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, episode two, basically, for that one, I think. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Okay, cool. Um, so question three was, which of these employment expenses can you claim against your employment income for tax purposes? And I believe this was a true and false uh, situation. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So there were five, I think we asked about five expenses. Um, uh, before we uh, go through the answers to those five expenses uh, that we asked in the quiz, I think it's probably worth us just recapping the, the rules regarding the, the categories of expenses which are tax deductible against employment income because um, that will give you hopefully a bit more of an understanding as to why these expenses are or aren't um, allowable. Uh, and those of you who, who did listen to the, our second podcast that Thomas just mentioned uh, may remember that these uh, allowable expenses fall into five main categories. So firstly, and probably the most important for us all, professional fees or subscriptions paid to approved organisations um, such as the GMC, the BMA, the Royal Colleges, etc. We cover that quite a lot uh, i'm sure a lot of you guys will, will now be aware of, aware of that um so that's the first category that's um, explicitly mentioned um by hmrc or in a, in a tax legislation so secondly uh payments to an occupational pension scheme such as that of the nhs pension scheme uh, so when you get your pay slip the nhs pension course you see on that will be will have been deducted from your gross income that you also see in your pay slip uh, before your payroll department apply the income tax rates um, thirdly, certain travel expenses are tax deductible against your employment income. Uh, fourthly, perhaps the least likely to apply, uh, any charitable donations that are taken off your pay uh, via your payroll departments are also explicitly allowed by HMRC. And then finally, uh, the fifth main category, so if you don't fall into one of those four um, specific categories, the fifth main category is known as the general rule. Okay, And that covers, as I say, all the, all the other expenses that don't fall into the first four categories. And this general rule, and it's really, really vital for employment uh, income tax law, this says that a deduction for an employment expense is allowable if it's incurred wholly, exclusively, and most importantly, necessarily in the performance of the employee's duties. Okay, so the first expense that we, we asked you guys about uh, was whether uh, Royal College examination fees were allowable um, against your employment earnings if you reset them. Uh, HMRC have long argued that continuing professional development expenses are not allowable expenses against employment income uh, and there's been a wealth of case law that has gone in HMRC's favour regarding their treatment of this. Uh, however, many of you will know that in 2010, HMRC lost a court case uh, brought by a, a dermatology specialist registrar which has allowed us doctors to now claim a tax deduction against our employment income for any exams that are a mandatory part of our training contracts. That means that any examinations that you have to take as part of your training contract, as part of the Royal College exams, um, they are allowable for income tax purposes. Uh, and as part of that, uh, resits are also allowable. Uh, I should probably add in here that HMRC won't allow any costs that you incur for preparing for this exam. So any revision courses that you might go on to help you prepare for the exam, any study materials you purchase, etc., um, they would not be allowable, okay? So just to recap, uh, the answer to that question, whether the uh, examination fee resets are allowable for tax purposes, the answer is uh, true. 
In the same vein, we then asked uh, for part B, uh, if the travel costs to the Royal College exam or to the reset, if they would be allowable. And again, the answer to that is true. Uh, any costs incurred um, because of the examination itself, uh, they should be allowable deductions against your employment income. Again, assuming that they were incurred wholly, exclusively and necessarily, and it was part of your uh, training contract that you had to do that exam, okay? Um, i just give a, you know an example, for example, if you, um, um, you know, the GP trainees, certainly before COVID, used to have to go to London to do their um, uh, clinical skills assessment exam. And the, the train journey to London for that exam, that cost should be allowable, okay? Uh, likewise, if you then go back back home on the train, you know, the return journey should also be allowable because you obviously had to incur that cost because of the exam. But if you get the train to London uh, for your exam and then, you know, you travel to a different city after the exam to go and celebrate with your friends because you finish your exam, you know, you couldn't argue that was exclusively because of the exam. So that journey wouldn't be allowable. Okay. So hopefully that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, the travel costs to the Royal College exam, they should be uh, allowable. Okay. And then uh, part C of this uh, true or false was true or false. You can claim a stethoscope to replace the one you bought as a medical student. Very specific wording on this question. Mm. This is the uh, hardest, I think, of all the uh, the expenses that we, we listed out there. And it's one of those really annoying uh, gray areas. Um, the cost of, of um, actually buying your first ever stethoscope um, won't be allowable that's uh, again a case law um uh, fact you know that anything that's what the revenue will call a capital expense um an investment in yourself etc these things aren't allowable so if, when you first buy yourself scope that's not allowable likewise if you first buy uh, an ophthalmoscope as a, a gp trainee um that won't be allowable okay we're talking about employees here we should talk about players yeah, yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. i think I'll, I'll, I'll mention that later on about how Sorry. about the difference no that's that's fine um uh, but you're absolutely right so all these things at the moment are, we're talking about employment expenses yep. um and the also any expenses that you incur when you're a medical student i'm sure most of you will know this already or, or at least assume this will be the case any expenses that you incur as a medical student they won't be allowable so if you bought the stethoscope as a medical student you can't then claim that cost back later on down the line when you've become a doctor okay um the cost of replacing your stethoscope now this won't fit into those four um specific categories so the general rule has to apply here okay and that as i said before was is this expense wholly exclusively and necessarily incurred in the performance of the duties uh of, of you being a doctor so a lot of people will be listening to this saying, well, you know, of course it is. You know, we need our stethoscopes for our jobs. You know, every doctor here will, you know, listen to this well in a stethoscope. You know, who could really deny that? Uh, and there are many people out there that will say that these costs um, incurred in replacing your stethoscope you know, will be allowable. There are two ways, though, in which HMRC can argue that it isn't a tax deductible expense. Firstly, they look at this word necessarily and they ask, you know, could the employee do his job or her job without incurring that particular expense? Um, the answer has to be yes for that expense to then be deductible from taxable earnings. And of course, yeah, so you and I would say, well, yes, it is necessary. I need my self-scope. It has to be, um, you know, incurred. It's necessary for me to do my job. HMRC have a view that there are stethoscopes available to us on the wards uh, that we can use. Um, so we don't necessarily have to buy our own. They also would say if it's that important, your employer should be getting you one. Um, I have to say that there were stethoscopes occasionally lying around on, on the wards that I worked on in, in the hospital. Uh, I'm sure there probably is one somewhere around in the GP practice that I work at, but uh, they're usually really 
bad quality, if I remember rightly. The Fisher-Price ones, yeah. like, uh, for kids dressing up. My yeah. kids have got a dressing up one, and uh, I reckon the, the acoustics are about the same. Yeah, they're terrible. They're always red as well, I don't know why. Uh, maybe because they're Fisher-Price, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, they're absolutely terrible. Um, so, you know, it's... As HMIC will argue, well, you don't necessarily have to buy your own stethoscope because you can use these terrible ones on the wards. Um, they also argue that the expense isn't technically incurred in the performance of your duties because you're not really incurring that expense when you're actually at work. Um, so they do have a, a myriad of reasons why they could reject that claim. So if you have ever tried to claim for a replacement stethoscope and you've been rejected, that's probably why. Um, so I guess the question is, what is the answer? Is it true? Is it false? Well, I would... Personally, I would, if I bought replace my stethoscope, I would make a claim for replacing that. Um, but I also wouldn't really be surprised if HMRC turned around and said, well, no, we're not going to allow it. Uh, and if they did say that, then I would probably argue back and write to them or, or talk to them and say, well, I believe it is allowable. But I, you know, so it depends on which tax inspector you get as to whether they'll, they'll change their minds or what their view is. Because I'll say it is a real great area. Okay. It's really frustrating, um, you yeah. know. Yeah, I mean, what would be brilliant is if there was actually uh, a court case uh, where a doctor tried to had tried to claim a, a stethoscope replacement, uh, and that been to the court, and they'd argued, you know, court had allowed it or not allowed it. That would be perfect. But sadly, I don't think there um, are any cases uh, as such. Uh, and HMC are really, really strict in applying that, you know, wholly, exclusively, necessarily rule. Uh, it is notoriously difficult for employees to get um, relief under that kind of general rule you know most disputed claims for expenses uh, have gone to the courts and, and been disallowed by the courts they've almost always favored uh, hmrc sadly shocking uh, very frustrating gray area and we know that a lot of you have problems with it but i think your last sentence there is, is you know it is a gray area and um, do your best to argue it using the knowledge that we've just dispensed to you but don't be surprised if they do say no um so yeah, yeah. okay uh, part D was uh, the cost for a diploma. Diploma costs, uh, they aren't usually allowable deductions as they're not incurred in the performance of your duties. And HMRC argue they're not necessary expenses either, being incurred to make you a better doctor and uh, not because you have to actually incur those costs. The only possible way that I can see, as I say, this again, this is for employees, not for self-employed people. Uh, the only possible way that I can see that this might be allowable uh, is if you can prove that the diploma is for some reason a mandatory part of your training contract. So I guess that it's that could apply to some people. I'm not aware of any, any but it could do, I guess. Um, but certainly uh, on the whole, diploma costs aren't allowable. So the answer there will be false. Yeah, I think there's a, this is a huge gray area as well because there are lots of things that are needed to CCT but do not uh, fulfill the Banerjee criteria that we talked about earlier, which was yeah. the test case related to exams. And I think... Uh, you know, we're not tax uh, lawyers, so, um, you know, we, we need to take that this with that in mind. But uh, the, the wealth of information, as you said, is that CPD costs are not claimable as a general rule. And the exams are an exception to that rule, thanks to Dr. Banerjee, who uh, brought that case, the dermatology registrar. Um, so it's very frustrating. Um, yeah, and I think there's work that could be done here. Um, but we are not tax uh, uh, barristers and it would need the involvement of uh, someone with a lot more money than us. Yes. Uh, so cost for diploma, we're saying regrettably false. Yep, absolutely. And we're talking about employees here, right? That's yep. really important. If you're self-employed, are you going to get to that? Um, yeah, I'm going I'm to come on to the distinction uh, after we've done question or part E. Yeah, this is a tough question as well. So part E, uh, true or false, you can claim uh, tax relief on the professional subscription to a medical journal, which... 
We all love to read. Um, the Royal College of GPs journal, Innovate, actually features Dr. Ed Cantello uh, informing our colleagues on how to read a set of accounts. Uh, yeah, so. I think that was the yeah, April edition. Um, so very, very exciting to be, be part of that. Um, the Innovate magazine is actually very good, but um, I have to say I've got quite a lot of BMJ um uh, magazines kind of piling up a little bit I'm not going to lie uh, I'm in the wrappers sure, in the wrappers yeah I'm sure I'll get around to them over, maybe over Christmas that'll be my uh, Christmas reading but uh, anyway um, so professional subscriptions to medical journals okay so it's basically another expense that uh, is not an allowable expense and has been proven to be such in in a court case um, but I want to just clarify one thing it's what we're talking about here is is if imagine I um, as a GP decided that I, I thought it'd be really really important to um, you know subscribe to the let's say the, the Lancet journal um, to get more information about what's going on because I wanted to find out what what their like, latest research is okay again HMRC will uh, say that that expense um, has been incurred because I wanted to incur it uh, and to make me a better doctor but it's not actually a necessary expense so those sort of subscriptions uh, won't be allowable any um, additional payments you're making to a Royal College or the BMA or any of those bodies that are allowable in general if you're making an extra contribution towards their journals as part of that subscription then yes that should be allowable um, but as I say if I decide I want to um, subscribe myself to a medical journal um, to make myself a better doctor that's not going to be allowable okay and as we've so the answer to that is false just to recap the We've mentioned this a couple of times now, but you know, note all these cases A, A to E, we've been considering um, the case of employees here. Okay, so for the self-employed, the rules are less strict, as the general rule um, for a deduction against your trading income um, is that the expense has to be incurred wholly and exclusively. Okay, so the the main problem for employees is it has to be necessary. Okay, uh, that part of the um, the general rule is ditched for self-employed people. So there's a lot more scope for claiming tax deductions and um, it's much easier to be able to claim against your income tax bill uh, if you're self-employed. Yeah, and if you are self-employed, uh, just ask your accountant about this. They should be doing it already. Absolutely, And if yes. you don't have an accountant and you're a doctor, you should know by now that the best place to find a specialist medical accountant, the very best in the, in the business, is of course Medics Money. Part of the reasons are why we set it up. Uh, okay, so question three, that was meaty. Uh, if you're still with us, we've got one more question. Then we've got the tax trivia coming up as the interlude so you can um, uh, relax then. So question four was, which of these would reduce your national insurance bill? Have I got that right? Yep, absolutely. So which of those... Um expenses that we mentioned in A to E, uh, which of those would reduce your national insurance bill? Uh, so some of you people listening to this, and I, I do apologise if the last question was, was a bit heavy, but hopefully was, was useful for you guys. It's important. Because um, it Yeah, it is important. It's important to kind of understand why um, expenses are allowable and why, that, why they're not. Uh, if you've ever had an expense uh, disallowed by HMRC, hopefully that gives you a bit more understanding as to why that's the case. Um, but anyway, some of, some of you people who listened to this would have heard our National Insurance Contributions podcast, which was uh, podcast episode 14. Uh, and you may know that it was a bit of a trick question, really, because unfortunately, uh, none of these expenses that we listed above would reduce your employee national insurance bill. But if you're self-employed, then any allowable expenses that reduce your trading profits should then reduce your class four national insurance bill, as that's class four is levied on your trading profits. So employees, 
uh, the answer is false. Um, but for the self-employed, they will reduce your um, trading profits, so they should reduce your national insurance bill. Yeah, I think the national insurance episode was one of the most detailed episodes we've done. And we weren't really sure if everyone would be as interested in geeky tax and uh, financial topics as we are. And they definitely are. We got some great feedback about that episode. And so, yeah, keep the feedback coming because uh, we just want to do what's useful for you guys. But that national insurance episode was really, really good. Uh, Okay, so the interlude, um, your tax trivia festive tax trivia for this uh, week yeah so i had um i had thought about doing uh, i think i've mentioned uh, to you uh, recently tommy that was good i was thinking about uh, explaining the the slightly tenuous but the link between um tax and the uh, the burning down of the the houses of parliament in the uh, 1800s but i'm gonna i'm gonna save that one oh, for the teaser. next it's a teaser that's gonna be the next uh, the next podcast uh, that, I, that i feature on uh, we're gonna put that in there okay um for Today's it's going to be a kind of a compliment to the last podcast, uh, the question podcast, where we talked about the um, HMRC's kind of top failed excuses for not filing a, a tax return. And some of you listening to this podcast will know that that deadline, of course, for filing a tax return, if you have to do one, is approaching uh, on the 31st of January. So if you do have to do a tax return, make sure you don't don't miss that one. OK, um, but for today, we thought I thought we'd talk about the HMRC's top failed self-employed expenses claims. Uh, in um, 2019. Uh, they, they actually release this every year, um, but we'll cover the 2019 ones and just a few of them. And I thought we could use this as well, a tiny bit of a learning point. I mean, yeah. We've already done quite a bit of learning, so I'm not going to um, uh, you know, go too much about this. But uh, the, the, the HMRC, their favourite, um, or they're listed, listed as their favourite, top failed self-employed expense claim for 2019 was a, a carpenter, a self-employed carpenter, who claimed... Uh, £900 for a 55-inch TV and a soundbar, which he said um, he claimed would help him price his jobs. So he was saying it's um, this 55-inch TV and soundbar was wholly and exclusively for his business as a carpenter because he needed that to price his jobs. And as you can probably guess, um, the fact we've listed it in our top failed claims, uh, HMRC were not happy about that at all. Um, we, they also mentioned someone who claimed £756 for pet dog insurance. Um, someone who went on a family holiday and claimed that. Um, and then I think these two might be interesting for a kind of a more of a tax points. And I also mentioned one from 2018 as well. But um, someone tried to claim a music subscription so I can listen to music while I work. Now, I actually do like to listen to music while I work on medics money stuff. Not really appropriate in the, in the GP practice, sadly. But um, I find that I, I work better when I listen to music. Uh, I know some people find it really distracting, but I don't. Um, so you could say, well, you know, um, could I claim uh, a music subscription because it's helped me with my job? But of course it goes down to that point that, you know, even if it's making you a better employee, it's not actually necessary for you to do, to have that, okay? And you can't really argue if you're self-employed that that's gonna be an elaborate expense either. It's not kind of wholly and exclusively for your business. Um, the other, the last one in their list was someone who claimed 40 pounds um, uh, basically on underwear every every year for five years um which is quite a, a strange claim i've no idea what what business they were running that made them think they could claim for for that um it's quite well established in, in case law that uh, you can't really claim for for clothing there was a, i think i may have mentioned this before but there was a uh, i think it was a barrister or a sister who claimed i think it was a barrister who claimed that the um the robes that they had to wear in court um were definitely they should definitely be tax allowable against her income tax bill because you know really she's not going to be wearing those sort of robes uh, outside but um 
it was argued that they weren't exclusively uh, for her job um, because you know you have to you have to wear clothes. That was HMRC's argument. Um, now, if you have to, if you um, anyone here who has to wear a uniform for work, um, HMRC will allow that. If you have to wear anything that's kind of protective equipment, they should allow that as well. Um, but certainly, normal clothes like that, uh, yeah, no chance of getting a, a tax deduction for that. Cool. Okay. Um, good to go into that in a bit more detail. And um, I'm just wondering, £900 for a 55-inch TV and a soundbar doesn't sound like too expensive. So we've obviously got a good deal. I think that's. Uh, I, I think now that's quite pricey. No, I have no idea how much soundbars are. I don't really have one. But um, I, I, yeah, I, yeah I think I've got a tiny TV. So, um, but 55 inches sounds massive. Anyway, yeah, we digress. Uh, question five. If your tax code is 1350L, how much tax-free personal allowance do you get? So we covered tax codes in um, podcast episode four, and I'm not going to go into this in um, in any depth. Uh, and also, you guys probably appreciate I'm, I'm going to pass over some of the uh, talking to Tommy in a bit, so you, you won't be hearing so much more of me in a minute. But um, um, basically, uh, if you have a tax code of 1350L, that means that the doctor's personal allowance, or sorry, tax-free personal allowance, is £13,500. The way you get to the number is basically HMRC, just all they do is they remove the last digit of the tax-free personal allowance to get the code, okay? So let's take a different example. If you are entitled to a personal allowance, say, of £9,632, You'll see on your tax code the number 963 because all they do is they take away the um, the two, the last digit. They just drop it and that's how you get the number on your tax code, okay? So if you were 1350L, that's what you're seeing, that basically means they're giving you £13,500 as your tax-free personal allowance, okay? And that's important because um, if you're claiming tax deductible expenses using the Medics Money Tax uh, Guide, uh, then you should see part of that reflected in your tax code, right? So the standard tax code for the current uh, financial year is 1250L, but you would expect some of your expenses to be coded in and therefore you would have a higher allowance. Absolutely, yes, yeah. So, um, yep. So current personal allowance, as Tommy just said, is uh, 12500 ditch that very last digit you get uh, 1250L which is the most common tax code in in the UK um, but as I say you know hopefully you should have your professional expenses factored in um, so it should be higher than that cool okay uh, I think I get to ask some questions now which is, you is great you guys get uh, get a, a break from my voice so um, we asked in question six uh, based on our podcast episode nine um, what does ESG stand for yeah, so episode nine, we talked about um, ESG investing, which stands for Ethical, Social and Governance Investing. And this was one of our most popular episodes because we kind of looked at how to invest ethically. So if you're a doctor like me, uh, you probably don't want to buy shares in a tobacco company to make money. Um, and you may not want to buy stocks in oil and things like that. So there are ways that you can invest ethically. And I think this is especially relevant for doctors because, you know, I, I really don't want to make money from, um, I don't mind making money from stocks and shares, uh, absolutely not. But I do not want to make money from smoking or other things like that. So if you're interested in ethical investing, we've got a couple of articles on our site about that. Uh, and we've also got the po podcast on episode nine and um, it's really interesting. So definitely have a look at that. I think ESG investing is going to become a big deal in the future. So have a listen to that. 
Yeah, excellent. And I think a very, another very popular uh, podcast was episode 11, which is where we did a, a Medics Money financial clinic um, regarding I think Alex, uh, who's a GP, and George is a, an ST6, talking quite a lot about cash flows, budgeting, protecting income, uh, and also how to retire before the state retirement age. And one option mentioned in that was something called E-R-R-B-O. Um, so tell me, what, uh, tell me question seven, what, what does that mean? Yeah, so ERRBO or an ERBO uh, is what's called an early retirement reduction buyout. And as we said earlier on, the uh, retirement age of the 2015 NHS pension scheme is uh, your state retirement age. Uh, but if you're a member of the 2015 scheme, you do have the option to uh, effectively buy out the actuarial reductions that will be associated with taking your pension before your state retirement age. So it can help to neutralize the effect of wanting to retire early. Um, and we keep mentioning early retirement, but I think you know the thought for me of working to 68, it's not a happy one. And mm. if it's not a happy one for you either, uh, you need to start doing something about it now. Um, so Erbo is one way to do that. Um, and there's loads of other ways. I think speak to your financial advisor if you're interested in this, because it's seriously complicated. Um, but also in that clinic, if you've ever wondered what does a financial advisor do, like which I know lots of lots of you do. Um, what we did is we just ran through Alex, who's a GP, and George, who's an ST6. We just ran through some common things to think about, as Ed said. So cash flow, budgeting, how to protect their income, uh, and also Alex and George were interested in not working until 68. So um, definitely check that episode out, episode number 11. Yeah, so um, in question eight, uh, we talked about our, our, our mentor. Yeah, Dr. Um, Abdullah Albiati. Yeah, absolutely. Who, uh, who I think he raised uh, um, $24 million um, through, uh, through his company, Medical Chain. Yeah. Uh, and he gave us in episode 10, podcast episode 10, uh, his number one financial tip. So tell me, what was that financial tip? Yeah, Abdullah is a really interesting guy. Yeah, um, he really is. Um, you know, he's just had a, an amazing idea and uh, really maximized it. But uh, yeah, I asked him what his number one financial tip um, I also asked him about uh, his number one tip for a junior doctor and he told a fairly amusing story about how he was on the ward rounds in F1 and forgot to order a troponin. Um, and so uh, have a listen to that episode. But his number one financial tip was to develop alternative, ideally passive income streams, no matter how small. So I think, you know, this could be something like investing in shares, investing in property, writing a book, designing a course, like writing an MCQ bank, starting a YouTube channel like Dr. Gandalf has, and that was in episode 20, I believe, where we talked to Dr. Gandalf. Um, there's also a YouTuber uh, called Dr. Ali Abdal, who has got a, a big YouTube channel and is creating a lot of income off of that. So I think the key word there for me is passive income. You know, I don't think many doctors are looking to do more work, um, but if you can make it passive, um, then that's good. And by passive, I mean doesn't require your direct involvement. Mm -hmm. To earn money as a doctor, you have to show up and actually do the work. And uh, there's plenty of work available, but if you don't want to work harder, but work smarter, uh, there may be some of those things to think about. And I thought that was a really insightful tip that Abdullah gave our listeners. Of all of his experience, that was his number one tip. Uh, so uh, back to you now, uh, buddy, because um, yeah, I don't know the answer for this one. Um, not sure what my personal score is today. Um, but it's not 100%. But anyway, <laughs> uh, if you earn £500 in cremation form income whilst employed by a hospital trust, how much income tax would you pay on this? And I think we talked about this in episode 19. Yeah, absolutely. So podcast 19 goes through the taxation of cremation form income in, in lots of detail. Um, and so if you received as an employee, okay, that's important. If you received as an employee less than £1,000 of cremation form income, which is 
the case in this example, uh, then it should fall within the £1,000 trading income tax free allowance. So no income tax will be payable on that £500, okay? Um, and if you don't really follow why you should be entitled to a tax free allowance aimed at trading income, uh, then definitely listen to the podcast because I explain in episode 19 why that very useful tax free allowance is available to doctors on their commission from income. Uh, I should probably add in here that if you're self employed, um, then it's just that income from your commission fee income is question form income sorry is is taxable okay so this trading allowance only applies to employees yeah and that's um i'm going off script and off piece here but that's one of very few examples where an employee can pay less tax than a self-employed person because we already mentioned yeah. that getting deductions against your income is easier for self-employed people because yeah. it's wholly and necessarily but not exclusively. Yeah, national insurance is a bit lower as well if you're self-employed. Yeah. Class 4 is cheap, uh, lower than um, class 1 for yeah. employees. But, but in this case, the yeah. self-employed person would pay tax on it and the uh, employed person would get an allowance of £1,000 or less. Yeah, that's free. And it's really handy as well because... If you fall within that £1,000 allowance, you don't have to tell HMRC, you don't have to do a tax return, you don't have to do anything about it. So, you know, it makes life a lot simpler. Yeah. It's a good little allowance. Yeah. Okay. And a good one to know about. And uh, episode 19 covered that in detail. And there's also a really detailed blog article about that. That's just reminded me about a question that we got. Someone asked about the uh, National Insurance blog uh, uh, podcast that you did. Where could they see the numbers? Yes, you can see Ed's numbers. Ed loves numbers. I think there's even a little mini spreadsheet in there. It's in a blog. It's linked in the show notes of the National Insurance episode or it's on our blog. So definitely check that one out if you want to run the numbers. Okay. Well, it's Christmas and hopefully people have got families to hang out with and things like that and if you're at work like us uh, thanks for everything that you're doing we know how tough it is um maybe even we might even be giving out the covid vaccine who knows yeah yeah that'd be let's hope so. yeah that'd be brilliant i mean we're, we're nearly set up and ready to go in our practice so um yeah all right well that marks our final episode for the year yeah um we're not taking a break we're coming at you next week we've got an amazing episode lined up next week Uh, And as I said, we have got a uh, pension celebrity coming on in the new year as well. Uh, But another chance to just say thank you so much for all of you that are telling your colleagues about this. Uh, In November, we had 7,100 downloads. That's amazing. Just in November. Wow. We've gone over 16,500 downloads now, which is amazing because we are literally just two doctors trying to help out our colleagues. And you guys are sharing it and tweeting us and liking it and everything. And that really helps us. So thanks so much for everyone that's sharing it and doing what we're doing. Uh, also, thanks to all the advisors that have come on. Um, yeah. yeah, thanks to everyone. Yeah. Uh, have a happy Christmas and a great new year. Yeah, happy new year, everyone. And uh, we'll see you in the new year. Yeah, take care, guys. Bye.